Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, an award-winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. Today we were joined by Matt Thomas, a world champion in chess boxing and one of the sport's most exciting commentators. This past weekend, Matt was involved in helping organize and commentate the Mogul Chess Boxing Championship, a event ran by Ludwig Ogren, a previous guest on this show, to highlight chess boxing. Now, for some of you, you may be asking, what the hell is chess boxing? Matt will explain it in a little bit in the show, but it's exactly what it sounds like. Chess, the board game, mixed with boxing, the combat sport. And participants do both. They play the game of chess, and then they box, and they alternate back and forth until there is a winner in one or the other. It's incredibly niche as a sport, but this past weekend gave it a ton of attention, with Matt saying that he thinks that more than 1.5 million people were exposed to it via the Ludwig event. So we wanted to have him on to break down the sport, its growth, and everything around it, and how it's becoming something that a lot more people online are engaging with. It's one of those topics that, like a few other things we've discussed on this show, that is going from its niche corner of the internet to something much broader. And this past weekend was a good example of that. But it's also a year-round thing. Matt himself organizes charity events for it across the states. He is also commentating international events. He won a world championship for the event in 2018 in India. But he said that there are upcoming events over the next year in places like France and elsewhere. Prem sat in on this interview as always. Prem, what did you think about our interview with Matt? I'm really curious. I don't expect a lot of people to go and pick up boxing. It's not really a thing you can just pick up. I'm really curious as to see how many people made a chess.com account and played a couple a couple games on there and just got either absolutely demolished by actual chess players or ran into other people who were like I want to play chess now. I, and I think Matt will touch on this a lot. The exposure that, that they provided, especially given the, the audiences that it kind of hits and, and in terms of shared audiences, the, the event is really going to bring a lot of new viewers to chess boxing. Because not only did, do we have Ludwig's coverage of it during the event, as well as his coverage of it on stream today, we had videos from all of the other major content creators who are all bringing attention to it. And at some point, a lot of them have interacted with the content. They've done React content to it. And, and so it's... I think that even though... And Matt touches on this. Ludwig said it's going to be a, a one-off event. I think we're going to see more of it. I think there's going to be more of this type of event, this type of kind of creator clash. I frankly fully expect to see a twitch rivals at some point I, I i think that's probably the next big step for it yeah i mean clearly one of the things about the ludwig event was that it featured a lot of it, it was a novice event it was not people like matt who yeah. sort of competed the highest level of chess boxing you know it did feature some elite chess players as well and matt dives into that a little bit about how the chess was really great but the boxing was kind of lackluster but it, it did feature a lot of people who had just never done this before. You know, we saw like a ton of like training montages from like TOEF and hugs and stands and a bunch of other people leading up to the event, them share, showing their training for the event. And because it featured a lot of these personalities who are just looking to create other types of content different than what they normally do, I think that's part of what made it exciting. Like he, he talked a little bit, you know, in this interview about how novice checks boxing is more exciting to watch than sort of elite chess boxing because elite chess boxing you have really good chess players and really good boxers they're all in there together and so you know the chess can be a little boring to watch the boxing is a little bit more calculated whereas this event you had people that knew how to play chess extremely well but a lot of people were just like average chess players maybe below average chess players and yeah. and amateur boxers so they were like making really fast really stupid chess moves and then just throwing hands at each other. And that was really exciting. Yeah, I mean, as, as someone who does watch a little bit of chess boxing, it's usually a, it pops on my YouTube kind of situation. And then I go out, down the rabbit hole. It was so funny to watch. Totally, 
novice boxers. Like, it was very clear that a handful of the people that that fought over the span of the night, not only had they never trained to be a boxer prior to to this, um, they didn't have any training in much of anything physical. Correct. Like yeah, no, some real ass nerds out here in, in this event, which is great. I I explained to a friend of mine, I was just like, yeah, I I don't expect it to be good, but I'm really excited to watch my friend beat the shit out of each other. Exactly. Like yeah. that was great. I loved watching Hugs beat the shit out of Tove. I love them both. They're both really great guys. But it was it was really fun to watch Hugs. I, like I was I was live messaging with the friend and I was like, dude, there's no way Tove survives this. Like Hugs is gonna just demolish him in the ring, and he did. <laughs> I should have, I should have side bet on it. I should have, I should have made a quick five bucks. <laughs> if you haven't watched the Ludwig Chess Boxing event, the Mogul Chess Boxing Championship, you should go watch it. It was really entertaining this weekend. But yeah. we'll let you go do that. Listen to the podcast first. Learn a little bit about chess boxing, and before you do. As always, please, 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 what is really helpful to us on the show right now is two things. One, listening to the ads. We're a growing podcast. We've gotten a lot of listenership lately. Thank you all, everyone, again. But when you listen to the ads, it actually does help us. Helps us with our current sponsors. It helps us with future sponsors. Helps us keep going. We are an indie podcast group. This is not something that, you know, this is not something that big Papa, whatever media company is writing the big giant check for. This is something we're starting up from the ground and we've been really successful thanks to the listening of you all. And we appreciate that, but it is only up from here. And so listening to the advertisements is really, really helpful for us. It helps our ability to grow. Second of all, please, if you are listening to this on any podcast platform, please go to Apple Podcasts and find us there. Sign in and give us a review. Apple podcast reviews are extremely helpful. They help Apple discovery. They are our ability to be able to get featured on Apple podcasts, which grows the listenership, which grows the shows, which keeps us going and moving. And that is extremely helpful to us. A couple of people have already done that. We thank you for doing it. I'm sure you've heard me say this before. But, so thank you there. And now we will dive into our interview with Matt Thomas. Enjoy the listen. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I am. Uh, I'm just now starting to get my voice back from Sunday night. I I left it all in that Coliseum. Yeah, it uh, was... but I'm I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm going to do my best best to to chat with you all tonight. It was a extremely exciting event. I think it exposed a lot of new people to chess boxing as a sport. And you know, we have a lot of people that listen to the show. Some that I'm going to guess are not familiar with chess boxing, and it's it's. <laughs> It's interesting because, you know, I completely forgot to like kind of do this explainer at the beginning of the Code Miko show earlier this week to explain VTubing. And, and then I was like, shit, I should have done that. So for the people not familiar with chess boxing, can you sort of give like the layman rundown of what it is and a little bit of the history of how it got started as a sport? Absolutely. Yeah. So it is the board game chess combined with the combat sport boxing. Some people think it's like chess boxing, like I'm trying to like chess bump you into submission but no it's board game chess combat sport boxing you alternate rounds between the two until there's checkmate or knockout whichever comes first so you never do both at the same time some people think like oh i take a piece i get to punch you or something like that no if you and i are chess boxing jacob we we sit down at the chessboard first and we start playing a chess game it depends on what level we're competing at, how long the, the first round is. But let's just use the format from Ludwig's event on Sunday, which is novice chess boxing. So we would sit down, we would start playing, and we would play a two-minute round of chess. That means both of us combined play for two minutes. So I make a move, I hit my timer, now your timer's counting down. You make a move, you hit your timer, now my timer's counting down. We go back and forth like that for two minutes. After that's done, the bell rings, ref pauses the, the clock, uh, pauses the game. The board is removed from the ring. On Sunday night, it was literally lifted up into the <laughs> sky. <laughs> and, and then we have one minute to go to our corners, put on our gloves, psych ourselves up, and get ready to fight. Bell rings, boxing round begins. We start moving around, punching each other. We get hit in the head. Our heart rate gets up. Our adrenaline gets up. 
Let's say neither of us knock each other out. We survive the round. Bell rings. We go back to our corners, take off our gloves, come back to the board, pick up the game where we left off. And the win conditions for this are checkmate, so a positional checkmate yep. on the board. Uh, time running out, which also counts as checkmate. So you're also playing quick on the board to try to get, get your opponent in time trouble. Or knockout. Knockout can be like your what you think of when you hear knockout, which is one punch, boom, you're down. You, you can't beat a 10 count. It can also be three stoppages in a round or four stoppages in a fight. And we saw that a few times Sunday night during Ludwig's event, especially during the fight of the night between Andrea Botez and Dina Bellancaya. Yeah, we're going to dive into that fight a little bit later, obviously, because there's been a little bit of controversy around it. And I'd love some perspective from someone on the ground there that that worked the event. But what is the what is the origin of this for those unfamiliar? How did chess boxing start? The combination of you know the mental game of chess and the physical game of boxing. What where did that get started? Sure. So David Britton, uh, I'm sorry, David Bitten, who was the French commentator for the event Sunday night is actually a documentarian that followed the founding of chess boxing. So if you want more information on the story I'm about to tell, you can check out his documentary by Brooker Left Hook. But the short version of it is, there is a comic book artist named Enki Bilal, and one of his comic books depicted a protagonist defeating his enemies on a chessboard. So he would like beat them with his mind and his body on this like literal manifestation of a chess game. And there was an artist living in Berlin named Jeppe Rumping. He's the founder of our sport. And he, he saw this comic book. Maybe he was listening to a little Yin Yang Twins, The Mystery of Chess Boxing. But he decided he wanted to, to create an actual rule set to do an artistic expression of what chess, chess boxing could be. And so he got one of his friends to fight on this lawyer. They, they rented out a warehouse in Berlin. They packed it out. And he ended up winning the first ever chess boxing match and, and crowned himself chess boxing world champion and thought it was going to be a one-time thing. Did, did not expect it to become what it became. Certainly, I couldn't foresee someone like Ludwig take a, you know, picking it up and running with it. So much to his surprise, a bunch of people after the event came up to him and said, hey, I would fight in another one of these if you ended up doing another one. And, and he was like, okay, I might be onto something here. He refined the rule set a little bit, did more events, refined a little bit more. And so what, what ended up growing was from 2003 in the first fight to around 2016, when I found out about the sport, it grew into more or less what it is today, which is most competitions are seven rounds, four on the board, three in the ring. Unless you make it to some sort of, of, of championship, some sort of longer form exhibition where there, there can be 12 round fights, uh, there's been 15 round fights. So it, it can vary a little bit depending on what promotion is putting it on. Just like, you know, Ludwig did a novice version Sunday night and London chess boxing has been doing the most consistent shows that are the best captured and digitally broadcasts in the world. So if you go on YouTube and search chess boxing, you're probably going to land on a London chess boxing video, which has their own rule set. So there's, there's a lot of different uh, ways to, to depict what is essentially the same thing, which is combining chess and boxing in a cool way. You know, you went on to win a world championship for this sport in 2018. And I want to ask you, but before you got to that moment, being that good at it, where did you get started? What made you want to do this? Yeah, so I, I, I didn't find out about it until, until like my mid-20s. But I actually grew up playing competitive chess. I, I was playing in, in tournaments every weekend. Both my parents worked. So I was in after school programs and, and two days a week, it was chess club. And I, I really loved the game. The game helped shape kind of how my brain thinks with, with pattern recognition, visualization, thinking moves ahead, understanding action and reaction. I, I've always been really drawn to, to the game of chess. And also because you know my parents were, were both working, I was I was raised for most of my childhood by a single mom. My mom wanted me to have like discipline and like a strong male influence and, and that kind of thing. So she had me in martial arts. I, I grew up doing karate and taekwondo, mostly taekwondo. And so I grew up with these two things really shaping my mind and body, martial arts and chess. And and, and when I got to my like like preteen, early teen years, I, I was I was trying to do both athletics and chess 
at the same time. And I, I wasn't really excelling at either. So I was also playing a lot of soccer. I, I ended up choosing soccer as my sport to continue while still maintaining a passion for, for martial arts and chess, just kind of as hobbies. And so I ended up getting, getting recruited for soccer. I played my freshman year at University of Georgia, still playing chess as a hobby. And when, when I got injured in, in a soccer match, I kind of decided that I, I wasn't going to go pro in soccer. There's more to life. You know, I want to focus on my academics. I want to lean more into my hobbies, my social life. And so I, I stopped playing soccer and I started boxing as a hobby. Yep. And that took off. I, like I, I started boxing as a hobby and then I started boxing like six days a week. And then I started sparring and then I, I couldn't get enough of, of sparring because I, I, I saw it as chess with my body. Like I, I, I started to understand how other fighters would have tells that were kind of like yep. uh, move patterns or openings in, in chess. And I could like think moves ahead and get ahead of them. So each time they drop their shoulder before a jab, I knew the jab was coming so I could slip outside of it and throw a counter cross and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I tried out for our school's team. I ended up making it my, my junior year. So I, I like boxed as like a passionate hobby all of my sophomore year. I started competing my junior year and, and I started promoting charity boxing events at the same time for people like me that maybe didn't want to go to the Olympics or make it like a full-time, you know, career kind of thing, but wanted to do it against other people that saw it as a hobby. So you aren't going up in there against like a golden glove fighting since they could walk kind of killer. <laughs> You're going in there against someone else that's like maybe like an accounting major and like has three days a week to like train and spar and wants to like be able to tell their grandkids. They you know, the, 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 Stet the Stetson Bennett of boxing people. That, yeah, that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, I like that. Reference. <laughs> um, so, so the, the thinking was like, you know, promote these shows for other people to have a similar experience to what I had. Keep fighting on my own and, and just doing it for fun. But like, you know, stay on track for, for law school where I wanted to go and, and having a good career and a good life. And similar to me getting into boxing as a competitor, I started getting into boxing as a promoter pretty heavily as a student. I started focusing on it way more than I was focusing on, focusing on my academics. And so I, I was promoting a couple shows a year at music venues around town. I started selling out the shows. And so I was making real money as a college student. I was like, wait a minute, like, this is pretty cool. This seems a lot better than sitting in a law library or, you know, doing a bunch of like casework for the rest of my life. And so I, I got much more into like promoting concerts, promoting fights, running events. And it kind of steered my life in this direction of like, you know what, life isn't all about like working the high paying job and, and that has some prestige. I kind of like lost the, uh, the, the, what felt like pressure from parents or outsiders to like have the, the, job that society thinks I should have. And I was like, I'm going to fight for a while. I'm going to plan these events and have fun and, you know, like focus on my girlfriend and, and live that life. And in one of my amateur boxing fights, I, I got a pretty bad injury. So I, you know, I, I was, I, I was fighting for a few years and, and pretty early in my amateur boxing career, I I threw a punch down at my opponent. His head came up into my fist at the same time that I locked out my elbow. Yeah. And it put my shoulder out of socket. And we actually had a similar dislocation in the in the Ludwig event on Sunday. Stands in the first chess yep. boxing match, threw threw an overhand left, kind of like a lead hook. And at the same time, box box kind of blocked it up and it dislocated anteriorly, which is the same way mine used to come out. And it would come out a lot and I'll put it back in and it'd, it'd kind of be fine. I was kind of used to it. But this one dislocated the opposite direction, which like my shoulder was already loose. Once this happened, it like, it, it's kind of like a rubber band when you yeah. stretch it too much. Like it doesn't even like spring back anymore. It's just like always stretched out. That was like the ligaments in my shoulder. So I, I can tell you the fight story. It's a good one. Pop it back in, end up, you know, finishing the fight, getting two knockdowns in the third round, coming back and, and winning the fight. New boxing was going to be a big part of my life after that. Learned a lot about myself. It's like when things get hard, don't quit. Push through it. Even there's a little short-term pain, there's, there's long-term gain. And I, I came out of the ring, and I knew I was going to have to get surgery. And so I, I, I got a shoulder surgery to, to repair. I, I got what's called an open bank heart. There's like a six-inch inch incision from like the, the top of my shoulder down to like my armpit. 
and, and basically they like unattached all of my ligaments. They they burned some scar tissue so that it, it really like shirred up my shoulder. It was almost like so it was impossible to dislocate out one one of the directions where it dislocated a lot. And then they reattached and like helped the, the ligaments be stronger and tighter when they reattached them. They reattached them like tighter. And so they sewed me up. I had six weeks of recovery where I was mostly just like sitting in bed, <laughs> uh, playing video games, playing chess, watching YouTube. And this is how I found chess boxing. YouTube's algorithm knew my search history, knew I like to play chess, knew I watched old fights on, on YouTube and served me a chess boxing video from London Chess Boxing. And didn't just like recommend it. And I like clicked on it because I was curious. It auto played it. Like the yeah, sport yeah. literally found me in my recovery. That's awesome. And so I, I watched it. I was at first I was like, this has got to be like a like a, a gimmick, like, like an ESPN the Ocho kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's been on ESPN. <laughs> yes, the Ocho. exactly. I know. <laughs> like I know. Yeah. Like that. That's that's up, up to Ludwig's event. That's been our biggest exposure. Yeah. Is every year on August eighth, ESPN does a spoof day called it's ESPN been the, the Ocho. Ocho. Chess boxing has been on that. So so I thought it was a joke, but it was real. And I, I watched more videos. I read more articles. I tracked down. Yepe, the, the founder of Chess Boxing, and, and sent him an email and eventually got back to me. And I, I just said, I, I love what you created. And I feel like I was born for it. You know, I have passions for both chess and boxing. So I, I'd love to to participate in some in it someday. And, you know, I told him I was recovering from a, a surgery. And he said, when you're healthy, reach back out. And we'll, we'll get you plugged in. So that, that was the impetus of finding out uh, about the sport was it, it found me. And I, I was lucky enough to sit next to a, a YouTube engineer on a plane once. I, I was flying from New York to LA, so I had a lot of time to talk to the guy next to me. And when he told me he worked on the algorithm that recommends people's videos, I was like, dude, your work's changed my life. Like, you know, yeah. I, I told him the whole story and he's like, I've never once in my life heard that. Like, usually people are pissed off at me for like wasting all their time. <laughs> I was like, nope. Like, yeah, you, you got at least one fan out there. And that's me. Yeah, I, I would uh, be remiss not to mention you're the first University of Georgia alum on this show. And so uh, to, to which I which I say go dogs as well. Yeah, very, go very. Dogs. I am not myself. My grandparents, okay. my grandparents met in a journalism class at the University of Georgia in the late 1940s. Yeah, so great journalism program. Indeed. Great so, is one of the best. They, they met and they got married in 1950. Uh, they are now wow. 95 and 93, respectively. Um, yeah, so li living in, in the Atlanta area as well as well as the rest of my family. I'm, I'm not anymore, but I'm a diehard Bulldog fan and grew up on on college football. So, yeah, they, they win. Okay. They win the semifinal. Yeah. Yeah. Good last two years. Huh? Yeah, they, they win this. My my uh, natty hat and hoodie are in the other room. And uh, shall, shall they beat Ohio State? I will uh, be paying whatever amount of money Wait. it costs. Yeah. <laughs> whatever amount of money it costs for me to go to Los Angeles in, uh, on January 9th to be there because I will not miss that for anything else in the world. True fan. Point. I might have to go out there too, man. Yeah. You're, you're inspiring me. It's, I want to get back to LA after Ludwig's event too. God. A lot of reasons to be out there right now. Tickets to that damn place are like a thousand plus dollars, but I don't give a shit at this point. I will, Worth it. I will, yeah, I will do it. Winning two in my lifetime is, uh, yeah, it's a big deal. So, um, oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Stan Stu, friend of the show, and somebody who uh, was here a couple months ago. Poor, poor guy. Hope he is recovering okay as well. <laughs> yeah, we, we've exchanged a few messages, and I, I was basically like, dude, look into stem cells before you go under the knife. Because I, I, honestly, I, even though this shoulder is good now, that recovery is brutal. Yeah. And stem cells fix my other shoulder. So I, I've been exchanging some messages, some exercises, all kinds of stuff. I, I, hope, he, uh, I hope he avoids that pain. Yeah, he's a good dude, though. I've known him for yeah, a long time. So, so in terms of the growth of the sport, I, I would love to hear a little bit more. You mentioned the the Ocho thing. I remember that actually because I'm a former ESPN employee, and cool. so uh, we would have esports stuff for or featured on the Ocho as well during times they'd be like run like Overwatch League replays among other things. But in terms of the exposure of the sport, obviously this weekend was a big deal for that. What what else? Like, how has the sport grown more broadly? Yeah, so when I found out about the sport, there wasn't much going on in the States for it. There was uh, a guy who was one of the officiators Sunday night in L.A. named Andrew McGregor, who had a small club that would do chess boxing adjacent kind of events. 
his own rule set, sometimes in like superhero costumes, like kind of like a, a spectacle. There's a guy named Jared in New York that was interested in it, trying to drum up some like grassroots kind of people meeting up to do it. But other than that, not, nothing was really happening in the States. It was mostly happening in Europe and Asia. And when I recovered from my shoulder surgery and reached back out to, to Yepe, he, he said that the next event was in Calcutta, India for the world championship. And this was in 2018, early 2018. And I was like, you know, like, I'm just getting healthy. I'm pretty, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty mediocre at both chess and boxing. So I don't think I want to go up against the best people in the world at this right off the bat. Like, how about a tune-up fight? How about I jump in in London? Whatever. And I didn't really have the full picture there, but he was pretty insistent on me signing up to fight in the world championship. And, and his thought was, if I can get Americans in on the world championship, I can start to pull in the, the American market, the American eyeballs, the American money to the sport that he's trying to get up off the ground. It's not that many people are into it. So I slept on it, but you know, my ego kind of got to me because, because he told me that I would be the first American in history to compete in the world championship and represent my country. I was like, God bless America. Like <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so I, I told him the next day I'm in and I, I made it my full-time job for eight weeks to get as, as good as I could at not just chess individually and boxing individually, but trying to weave them together. Yeah. learn how these two things interact and and learn how to manage my state change between the two things, which ended up being uh, the most important part of my training and, and what gave me the advantage over my opponents in uh, in the 2018 World Championship. So long story short, big training cycle, got a lot better at both chess and boxing, flew to Calcutta, India, had one teammate that signed up a little after I did named Kevin Von Carver. So we were the first ever Team USA. We went over and uh, because most of the bracket was Indians, because it was in India. Not a lot of people had the, the money to travel in from Europe and other places. And we, we both fought a lot of Indians on our way to the, the finals. We called ourselves the Cowboys, um, mm -hmm. which is, is totally politically incorrect. I'm sorry. But we, we, we had like such a great bond. We were able to like train together from across the United States. He was, he was in Kansas uh, while he was training, but we would like stay up late and play chess together and then do calisthenics and go back to playing chess together. And anyway, we, uh, we, we both end up winning our, our weight category. I, I fight at 90 kilograms. He fights at 95 kilograms. And because we both won our weight categories, we, we ended up actually placing third overall as, as a country, in addition to winning our individual weight category. So we got this badass third place trophy that like the Indians go big with their, their accolades. Like, they like our medals were awesome. Our trophies were awesome. And every year we travel back and forth to each other to, to hand off the trophy and hang out for a, for a weekend. But that, that experience literally changed my life. And, and, and I fell in love with the sport and in a way that I'd never fallen in love with the sport before. I, I learned a ton about myself and uh, I, I knew that there wasn't like a career change or like any kind of money in the sport, but I was like, for as long as this thing is around, I'll be involved with it. I'll help it grow in the United States. You know, I'll train and probably compete again. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but I, I you know, I, I would end up commentating all the international events from 2019 to, to present. So, so it really started to shift after 2018 when, when I kind of had my competitive journey and, and started to lose bigger for competition and starting to gain a lot more, not just interest in, but also like a skill set for commentating events. And the same charity boxing events that I was commentating at University of Georgia called Bulldog Brawl ended up evolving into a nonprofit called Brawl for a Cause. We, we hosted events at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Georgia World Congress Center. We were the first ever combat sport event to be in Mercedes-Benz Stadium where Atlanta United plays, the, yep. the Falcons play. And I ended up commentating all of those events and getting, getting some reps prior to not just the international chess boxing events, but, but when Ludwig eventually uh, you know, got, got in touch with me and, and we, we started talking about doing this chess boxing event. I have two questions. One about the actual sport itself, based off a comment that you said this weekend, I believe. And then also another about sort of the virality and sort of the ceiling you think that this can hit from a, a growth and interest perspective. So we'll start on the actual comment that, that you made. You made a comment somewhat to the degree, paraphrasing, about that the chest gets sloppy when you start taking hits to the head. 
logically makes sense. As someone, though, who has competed in the sport, can, can you walk through that? Why you think that is, you know, when the, uh, most people lose on chess because they, you know, they're playing sloppily chess wise because they've taken some shots. Yeah. So, so taking shots is part of it. And, and of course, if you get like severely concussed, it's going to affect how you move. Everyone can wrap their head around that. But even if you don't take a big head shot, your body getting fatigued and, and having a lot of adrenaline in your system is not good for using the part of your brain that focuses on pattern recognition, visualization, and strategic thought. So the, the way that this works is, is when I have a high heart rate, when I have adrenaline in my system, I'm using a, a back part of my brain that's more primal. It's like your, your reptilian part of your brain, the, the, one of the first parts that develop. That's all fight or flight. It's survival mode. And it's only focused on like, what is the first step in front of me that I need to do in order to get out of this bad situation? Do I need to kill or run away from being killed? And when you sit down to a chessboard, you don't want to be using that part of your brain. You want to shift your, your mental focus to your prefrontal cortex, which focuses on that, that, those patterns, that strategic thought, that visualization, that thinking moves ahead. That's how, that's how you like plan out your life. That's how you have a five-year plan. That's how you make an event happen. That's, you know, make a business plan, all that kind of stuff. So one thing that you have to, to do in between rounds is you have to, to manage your state change or prime for the next activity. So one way you can prime for chess is by slowing down your breath, which also signals to your central nervous system, it's okay to slow down your heart rate and calm down, dump adrenaline, and start to, to come back to a more peaceful state of mind, which helps you play chess. And then you want to do the opposite for when you go into boxing. You want to psych up your central nervous system. So you can use a, a breath from yoga called Kabbalah Bhati that um, if you've heard of Wim Hof, you know that guy? I do not, no. He does like hyperventilated breathing in order to like mm. endure really cold temperatures or hold his breath for a really long time. He has like Guinness Books of World Records and all these courses and curriculum and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you, you can hyperventilate to... to start releasing adrenaline uh, adre adrenaline, and start getting your heart rate up before a boxing round. The reason why this is important is most of the defining moments in chess boxing happen in the first 30 seconds of a round. Now, when you think about that, it's like, okay, so like when you're fresh or the first 30 seconds, like, you know, why, why is that the case? And it's because it takes some, one of you more time than the other to transition to the next, the yeah. next game that you're playing. And if you can if you can do that faster than your opponent, you get a leg up. And in that 2018 World Championship, that's that's how I won. I was competing against a boxer with more experience and about an equal, maybe a little bit better than me, chess player. And he, it, I, I caught him in the in the temple right before the end of the round, and he was in a lot, and he was in worse shape than I was. He was more fatigued. And so when he kind of stumbled back to the to the board, I was already there doing my breaths. And when the, the bell rung, it was his move. He thought for a few extra seconds than he should have, because this is a time that, you know, you, you want to be moving quick. And then he picked up the wrong color piece and moved, the, moved that piece. And so I knew when he did that, I was like, this is my chance. He doesn't know what color piece he is. He's fatigued. He's taking time. I got to move fast. I got to be aggressive. And, and noticing opportunity like that and then already being in the place to be able to take advantage of it doesn't only work in chess boxing. It, it works yep. in life. Yep. On the growth of the sport, too, and I noticed this from this weekend, but I've just noticed it in general from combat sports as a whole. I'm, I'm a big MMA fan. I did some amateur MMA training and want to get back into that now, too, that it's a little bit more COVID safe to do so. You know, the thing is about combat sports in the same way as basketball and soccer is that they are they lend themselves very nicely to the exciting moments being replayed on social media and being able to go viral. Right. Like when somebody throws a really mean punch in an MMA match or does a chokehold or whatever it may be, like that looks cool on social media. When someone does a dunk on, you know, in basketball, that looks cool on social media or a really cool goal. Right. And, and the commentary and everything else. I saw this weekend the sort of so a little bit of the same phenomenon with chess boxing, given that, you know, there are a ton of influencers who fought in this Ludwig event like stands like Andrea Botez and others that are very relevant to this young sort of Gen Alpha, Gen Z audience. And a lot of people were sharing clips of the event this weekend because it was, you know, it got a lot of viewership and people were kind of engaged. And of course the boxing part of it in particular was like, even though the fighting was not the, the absolute premiere of boxing to your point, 
it still was exciting to see somebody take a punch, right? And so to me, like it, that almost signals a growth opportunity for chess boxing in the sense that uh, the other sports that have grown because of viral social media nature. What do you think about that from like being able to share events and share the content around them and, and sort of level that up and, and, you know, make more exposure for this sport? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And, and I think a lot of the success of, of the sports that are going to be in the future have to do with this. It's, it's why the UFC is investing in, in the slap fighting championship right now um, and, 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 and diversifying in the direction of something that can cause viral moments and probably why Ludwig ended the, his, his event with the slap fight. So it's, it's something that I, I think chess boxing and especially novice chess boxing, like we saw Sunday night, I, I think it's something where there, there's a lot of potential. The, the problem that we run into at the highest level of the sport is that it's difficult to understand. When, when you see high-level chess and you're just a, a casual chess player, you don't necessarily know what's happening and what's at stake. Yep. When you watch mid-level or low-level chess and you have even just played as a child and you know that it's bad to lose a queen and you see queen blunders like you saw Sunday night because someone's exhausted, and, and forgot to check if, if that square is protected. It's exciting because the, the boxing part is obvious. There's going to be knockouts. There's going to be good combinations. That's going to go viral. The chess part is harder. You, you, you don't have like a, like a hype, you know, uh, like, you know, like, like going up a piece advantage moment. Yep. <laughs> you know, like it, it has to be something like, what an idiot! He gave away his queen. Like anyone can wrap their head around this not being a good thing, and um, and I think the the brilliance of what Ludwig did was he he found people that are extremely entertaining in whatever they do. Yeah, they have millions of followers for a reason. They they built up an audience not just in one type of game. They do a variety of things from live events to chess to first person shooters to Smash Bros. And, and they know how to make something interesting and engaging. And, and then he put them up against each other to, to see what happens. And there were some unknowns that didn't go so well, like the first fight, where one of them didn't train as hard as the other, and, and it was kind of a blowout. And there were some that went incredibly well. And, and even ones where they, they, you know, neither of them trained the chess. Hilarious. I, I didn't even care that, that Myth and Shirdley's, you know, it, like played not even a half a game. You know, it, it was just funny while they're recovering to go box again. And they put a lot of time into boxing. And that was cool. So for the purity of the sport, there's a part of our community that might have been a little upset. Like, oh, our, our beautiful, pure chess boxing, ultimate competition expression being made a mockery of or, or something like that. But those people don't matter. And, and they're my friends. And they don't matter. Because the growth of the sport is going to be driven by events like Sunday night. And you need that in order to fill the top of the funnel for exactly, people to compete yeah. in it for a long time and get to the highest level. And you need people like that to be able to fund the sponsors, the events, and, and the, the engine that keeps a sport going. So, yeah, I, hats off to Ludwig. I, I, was, I was like honored and so grateful to be a part of what happened Sunday night. I was glad to be able to bring some of the old guard of chess boxing in to officiate it, to, to write the rule set for it, to sanction it to help it get insured, you know, all, all of that, I think really, really bridge this old with the new and, and, and what will ultimately drive the sport forward. Yeah. What you were just talking about reminds me a hell of a lot of the people in esports, to be honest, the people that are like, you know, this, they have this like sort of, uh, like stick up their ass about being the, you know, sanctity of, of gaming or whatever. And, you know, they think influencers are these like, you know, corny, like greedy people, right? We've talked about that a lot on the show and it's like, they just help. Like the more people that get exposed to like video games and influencer culture and everything else, like it, it will eventually make its way over at least by a certain percentage. It's all a numbers game, right? Like that's ultimately what it is. So you're, I think you're right to recognize it. Like the, the more exposure, the better. It doesn't matter if it's high quality and like, you know, expert level test boxing or not. Like it's still exciting. It gets people excited about the sport. Yeah, and if you love the high quality stuff and the purest stuff, do it. Like no one's stopping you from doing your thing. You know, like, co compete at the highest level. Only watch the highest level if you want. Like whatever. But like let 
everyone else have fun too. <laughs> like that's that's all it is. <laughs> it's like make it entertaining, make it attractive, make it shareable, uh, make it understandable, and, and I think I, I think it'll you know uh, put wheels on an engine that's already there. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about people that are like generally very entertaining themselves selves or like try in that effort you know like the the fight that i watched that i saw that through because i know both of these guys and i know given their past career history one is commentator one is player that they they genuinely have tried their best to be entertaining in different ways and that's being hugs and tof which is a really really interesting match as well because you know both of those guys like put a shit ton of effort into anything they do broadly so yeah i was i was impressed to see the exactly what you're saying the gamut of the different fights and how they each compared to one another and in that preparation in what was interesting uh, etc I, I thought it was a pr- pr- pretty cool card mix and match card i, I completely agree and and I, I was fortunate enough to be able to to stream with some of the the participants leading up to the event and i, I don't know if you know this or or most people don't know this but ludwig launched my twitch he, he pulled me into his 50 hour live stream the, the charity stream at dream yep. For me to punch him in a box and what was supposed to be like a 20 minute bit where we plug chest boxing and i hit him turned into me being in there for five hours over the course of the whole weekend including the, the final three hour countdown when over a hundred thousand people were watching and and after it people from his team like told me how to set up a twitch told me what to do how to do it and i, I i've been live over 90 hours in, in like two weeks two and a half weeks and a bunch of Ludwig's community has come over to help, uh, you know, help launch that. I, I, I got partner in 12 days. My whole life has changed from getting in touch with Ludwig to today. Like I, I I'm fundamentally doing like drastically different things with my career, with my time, everything. Yeah. Crazy. Congratulations on all of that. I do. I watched the Dream Hack Atlanta stream and, and saw you. <laughs> yeah, I saw your participation. And I thought that was, I mean, it was, it was, it was a great promo. No doubt about it, too. Like, I, you know. Uh, I think I think the other thing that I was impressed about around the promotion of the event this weekend too was how many other people involved or got involved. You know, I saw Chess.com, who obviously are one of the, like the biggest online chess matchmaking site, doing a lot of promotion and content. You did some stuff with them as well uh, to promote. I saw YouTube make their sort of video explainer of what is chess boxing and why the rule set wasn't one to one to what was actually used. It was. For novices, I, like for people that don't know the sport, I thought it was like pretty good, pretty good at explaining kind of what it what it was, right? So it's um the the awareness factor I think was a huge deal from this weekend. I'm excited to see that. I'm always just excited to see like another sport uh, of any kind kind of get some love, right? Like let people do their passions, support them, and uh, where they can. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And and the the spectrum of of what was displayed Sunday night showcases a lot of of what the sport is all about. You, you brought up Toph and, and Hugs. Toph dominated the first chess round in a way that it isn't typical in a first chess round. He, he went up a full piece. He had a positional and a time advantage. Clear, like Clearly could have continued that ad- advantage through the rest of the chess rounds. But Hugo in the first round went absolutely uh, like mad with, with, with like Tyson energy, bobbing, weaving, getting in tight, landing big hooks. Got a big first stoppage that where it could have been argued that that it could have been called there, and then the second stoppage where where Toph was clearly stunned and and came out afterwards saying you know thinks he has a, a concussion. I mean that shows like okay you can be really good at one and not as good at the other and still win, and then you you look at other ones that are really evenly matched, and and where it comes down to something that uh, you know neither are are like a nadat which is boxing, like, like Amon versus Trent, right? Like, like that, that grandmaster versus international master at that time control doesn't make a huge difference. Their, their chest was deadlocked even. And, uh, and everyone kind of expected Lawrence Trent to, to win. He had been training boxing a lot longer and Amon just went off, surprised everyone had, had a natural fighter inside of him that he didn't really show to the world until Sunday night. Also really cool. Also on that boxing side of the spectrum. And then you look on the chess side of the spectrum with, uh, games going down to the last few seconds, like uh, like Chris Broad and 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 overt flow, or like like Dina and Andrea, going going to the the very late uh, stages of, of of chess positionally, 
um, and Andrea using the full amount of her time all, all the way to the end to get three boxing rounds. You know, you see how these strategies could change based off of who's in the ring. It's not always the same thing. It's, it's, it's different based off of not just who's stronger at boxing and chess, but what their boxing and chess style is. Are they super aggressive people? Are they defensive people? Um, are they counter punchers? Are they whatever? And how does that play into how they match up in chess? It's just this dynamic, amorphic, you know, ever-changing kind of matchup machine that, that, that will always be interesting. You, you can fight different people and, and, and no matchup will ever be the same. I want to talk about the Andrea match. You know, for those unfamiliar, Andrea Botez and her older sister, Alexandra, are two of, in my opinion, based kind of looking at the numbers in their career, two of the most popular chess influencers in the world. They are both top 2,000 chess players in the world and and probably maybe the only other person up there in that sort of like, cause, because he's a little bit better of a chess player, but also an influencer is Hikaru, who's a, a very high-tier chess player as well. They've done a lot for the game of chess in terms of exposure to, to people, especially when it comes to streaming it, competing, etc. There was a lot of controversy around this fight, so much that afterwards the Mogul Moves and Ludwig announced a, a sort of change in their decision. Walk us through from your perspective as somebody sitting at that commentary table, what happened in that match? Yeah, so, so two versions. The, the first version is what we experienced live without review. And the second version is, is what after review and about an hour of discussion following the event, what, what decisions we made collectively that night. So first, what happened was Andrea scored one knockdown early in the fight. And then in the final boxing round, she scored two clear knockdowns and what was disputed as a, a stoppage at the very end of the chess round, like literally within the last like five seconds. So for context, Dina, who was getting punched by Andrea, getting the stoppages scored on her by Andrea, was winning by a landslide on the chess game. Yeah, and she's so, she's a, a woman's grandmaster as well, which is a higher rank than Andrea on, in chess technically, just for context. Yeah. Correct. And, and higher than anyone besides a mom yep. in the event. So strongest female chess player to ever chess box and, and showed it. She, she had a, a multi-minute time advantage. I think she ended with over three minutes on her clock and, and, you know, didn't do nothing in boxing. She, she had a jab. She, she was defensive, you know, trained evasive maneuvers to, to stay away and play to her advantage, which is part of chess boxing. She should do that. What happened at the end of the round, and I just rewatched it before the podcast with, with Ludwig. Ludwig was going and reviewing it live. So I, I, it's fresh in my mind. Five seconds left. Andrea lands a shot with Dina up against the ropes. Dina had already been running around the whole round. She only has to survive another four seconds, and she's back to the board and gets a checkmate her opponent. She puts her, her, her arms up on the rope and is clearly like fatigued and hurt. The ref initially separates, looks at Andre, Andre is good, looks at Dina, Andre, uh, and Dina's not good. So when he first separated, it was just because there was a clinch and then a separation. There was not a shot that initiated the, the stoppage that I saw, that anyone really saw. But when he looked at Dina, he saw enough damage to elicit a stun or a stoppage. And so as soon as the bell rung, he put his first finger up, which is where the controversy is. You know, did the, first, did the bell ring before he started the stoppage, the motion for the stoppage? That's one question. Two, was the stoppage a stoppage because there was no shot landed? Yeah, yeah. Fatigue. Should, have, should he have even initiated a stoppage? And three, if he did, and this is the, the part that I've had to mull over. There, there's a, a saying called saved by the bell. And it, it comes from people in like medieval times being buried alive and tying a string to their finger and then ringing a bell so they can unbury them and, and save them. But it's been used in boxing because when you, got not, when you get knocked down, instead of having to beat the, the, the 10 count, if the bell rings at the end of the round and you're able to make it to your corner, you can continue the fight. So if that was the case for this knockdown, 
which hasn't happened to my knowledge in chess boxing history yet. So our rule set hadn't like fleshed out yeah. that particular scenario. Does being saved by the bell happen? And so the the direction that the commentary went was that direction. I you know Ludwig and I were the main speakers when this happened, but it's like okay, um, that was either not not ruled a, a third stop down and around or a fourth in a fight and thus over, or she was saved by the bell because the the count didn't finish or the bell rung before it it registered, right? So we just continued the fight. Dina won checkmate in two moves. And and the end, and then after after the uh, after the stream ended, we go to the the after party, which is right right behind where all the fighters walked out. We had you know open bar food. Everyone they got VIP tickets, got to hang out with the fighters and Ludwig and everyone else. And we had a little corner where it was all the chess boxing officials, timekeeper, and then me and Ludwig, just kind of like reviewing this and talking about it because Andrea had spoken to the event producer who had spoken to Ludwig. It was like, hey, I think that was wrong. So like, okay, well, you know, we'll check it out. So we review it. There's a couple different opinions in the conversation. And and long story short, we're like, okay, a strong enough argument could be made that the the stoppage initiated when he put his finger up. Yep. And even if that happened at the same time as the bell ringing, that would have constituted a stoppage immediately upon putting the finger up. You don't have to get to the end of the eight seconds for it to be a stoppage. It's a stoppage when you decide that she needs time to recover. So we we're like, okay, we're going to award Andrea a belt too. We're not going to take Dina's away. They both won in their respective kind of realms. People are going to disagree about this. It's actually good for the event if that happens because it sparks debate. People yep. learn the sport better. People are talking about the sport longer. It opens up a door for a rematch. Why not give Andrea a belt? She, she clearly won the boxing. It was a landslide victory in the boxing. And it was the separation of, of a few seconds where, you know, it, it could have been multiple people's fault from, you know, the the, uh, the the chess tech being slightly off with like timer. the So like event producers, the referee in there for like separating when there wasn't a shot landed and starting the count instead of just separating and saying continue. The timekeeper for ringing the bell when there was an active count going, even though they happened at pretty much the same time. It could have been like, a bunch of people's faults. This is not really the point. Yeah. The point is they both did an amazing job. They put in an awesome show. They both deserve a belt, whatever a belt means. They all got paid sure. the same amount of money yeah, yeah. for participating in the event, regardless, win or lose, which is important to know because like the safety of the fighters was the first priority. All of these people are career streamers, career gamers, etc. So uh, there, there's there's no reason to to let a fight continue because you know they have to put food on the on the table for their family through this this fight. I want to ask you about your nonprofit, Matt, because it is something I did a little bit of research and looking into. You mentioned it earlier as well. You, you know, like this is a sport that you mentioned. Like financially, it's not up there quite yet to sort of be a, a regular living. But I, I'm sort of first I admire the fact that you've sort of turned it into being used for good causes. Can you like dive in a little bit more of what, what you're doing with your nonprofit and what your ultimate goal is? Yeah. So when I started promoting boxing events, I was a kid with no money. And one way I could get cheaper venues and, you know, more people finding out uh, about the event through promotional partners was to make it for charity. Straight up. It was like, okay, I'm involved with the charity at UGA. If I benefit that charity a lot more people will help me put it on we'll get the venue for for cheap or for free and uh and, and any charity involved will help promote it because they benefit from it so they're going to bring yep. their community in and the most important part we do a ton of good for you know an entertaining thing so why not do it so started promoting like for-profit charity boxing events with like a check handoff at the end right so we had a company, it was a promotion company, we did concerts, we did boxing events, and then we would hand a check out off at the end. And as I got more and got to know these charities more, um, and like what, what kind of shoestring budgets they operate on, what kind of salaries they have, what kind of people uh, end up working in nonprofits and where most of the funding comes from, I was like, man, this is like a broken kind of world. Like this can be so much better. And I was, I was really interested in entrepreneurship. I worked at, at two successful startups in 
Atlanta, one called Sales Loft that sold for $2.4 billion, and one called Brody that sold for $580 million. And I was an early employee at both, so I saw them go from zero to one, to, you know, how to scale. And I was like, a lot of these same things can be applied to nonprofit. And, and, and the nonprofit world seems like a, like a rich old white guy mm-hmm. sport right now. Yeah. Like, why, why aren't there young people in it? And why isn't there money in it? Like, why aren't, why, why is it, why aren't salaries attracting top talent to making the world a better place? Like, it, it didn't make sense to me. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go all in on making this promotion company a nonprofit. And I'm going to take a swing at using my like most energetic, passionate, you know, like high potential years in doing nonprofit from the beginning and just see what happens. And if I fail, then like I reinforce that it's a, like an old person sport. And if I succeed, then maybe it makes a model for other people to, to try to do the same. And so uh, we, we made our mission youth and leadership development. We, we ended up raising seven figures over the course of our charity boxing events to fund over 300 nonprofits that, that people fought for. We've matched over 300 fights. So 600 people have, have signed up to fight for a charity that they personally believe in. We train them for three months. We teach them how to personally brand themselves, how to get the word out about their cause, how to solicit donations, which by the way, asking for money is way tougher than taking a punch. But taking a punch helps you be able to ask for money <laughs> yeah. because you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You're putting your, your you know, your, your fist where your heart is. It's it's uh, it's a good way to, to raise not just funds, but awareness for something you really care about. And what we stumbled upon was a model that generated significant funds and awareness for nonprofits because of the storytelling behind it. You don't sign up to take a punch for something unless you really care about it. And you don't really care about something unless you have a really good reason for it. So. Oftentimes what would happen is people would sign up for a charity that has affected them personally or their family or a community that they're a part of. And then they get to stand up on this, this massive platform, be the man in the arena, the woman in the arena, and, and literally fight for what they believe in. And I did that for 10 years. I did that my, my whole 20s. But like I said before, we, we did it in the biggest venue in, in Atlanta. We had, we had a field of Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the first year that it was open. And, and then we, we did the Georgia World Congress Center, World Hack happened where where Ludwig pulled me into the tank and and all that like event background and fight promotion helped so much for this Ludwig event because when when I got involved with the event they didn't have a fight sanction they didn't have insurance for fighters they didn't have a female matchup and they didn't know how to craft a rule set to get approved to be able to officiate it so when I got involved it was initially just to kind of help the fighters train and maybe commentate and then I ended up being engaged as a, a event consultant. And I, the, Jacob, the guy that put on the event, the event producer from JK Productions, he and I talked every day. I felt like I, I talked to him more than I talked to my girlfriend for the last <laughs> two months. And and you saw what happened Sunday. Yeah, I, I'll end on this before I throw to Prime and his question. But, you know, it seems you mentioned sort of now streaming and everything else. seems you're extremely optimistic about kind of where things are going. If you had to set a goal right now, for where you wanted to go, whether that be you personally chess boxing, the exposure of the sport, everything you know, seeing how the event went Sunday, seeing obviously, you know, your involvement in the DreamHack stuff and the stream that you've been doing since then. What what would be your ultimate goal right now? Yeah, m- micro goal for the sport is rematches between Andre and Dina and Amon and Trent. I, th- I think Lawrence Trent should have an opportunity to redeem himself. And I think I think having another match between Andrea and Dina would be fire. I think any of the other influencers that would want to do it again should. They're only going to get better from having one fight under their belt, uh, and and that would be awesome to watch. And I hope Ludwig pulls the trigger on on setting another date and and doing this again. Um, usually he's a one and done kind of guy, and that's what he told me from the beginning. He's like, ride this wave, whatever happens, because I'm probably not going to do it again. But the way he's talking after and the way it's been received, there's there's a chance. And I don't know. I haven't talked to him since the after party. So I, I can't confirm or deny that, that it's going to happen again, but I, I hope it does. And if it doesn't, we have four events in Paris coming up, February 3rd, May 28th, and then two in, in, in fall and, and, and winter. And then we, we have London events four times a year. There's, there's going to be other shows to you know, keep going at the, the, the pace that we were going before. Now with just a little bit more viewership, a little bit more interest in, in participating and fighting. So I'm really optimistic about the future of the sport after this event. I, I think I think Sunday only helped it 
and in terms of me personally, like I, I, I like building businesses. I like starting things and figuring them out and streaming is my new thing. Yeah. Like it, I, it totally caught hold of me and, and has, has, uh, has me infatuated. So, you know, I, I've been, I've been putting up serious numbers in terms of, of streaming that my, my last two businesses are both in the health and wellness space. One in virtual wellness, Wellfest, where we do five to 15 minute wellness breaks throughout the workday. That's perfect for gamers. It's perfect for chess players. And I've already signed a contract with chess.com to offer chess fit wellness for chess players. So really excited to bring more fitness and, and wellness to Twitch, which I think there's a huge gap in, in Twitch for just taking a few deep breaths, doing some guided meditation, doing short desk stretches, and then getting back to your workday or getting back to your gaming session. And then my, my other business is Fight and Flow, uh, which is a fitness concept combining martial arts with yoga. Uh, that's intended for, for people to be able to, to move without equipment like people have been moving for thousands of years in ways that helps you for, for longevity and vitality. So both of those will, will be on my, my stream at, at moving with Matt. And, and I, I fully intend on commentating every international chess boxing event, being the, the, the voice for it and, and, and bringing wellness to Twitch. Well, thank you. It was, uh, yeah, I'm glad you gave answers for both sport and personal. Um, so I'll let Prem dive into his question. Go ahead, Prem. Hit me, Prem. So I, I'm someone who who kind of learned about chess boxing through a couple of years ago, Charlie, voice critical. Yeah. And so I've my kind of entire exposure is through internet content creation, through people coming in and finding their own interest in the in the space. The event on Sunday, I think, does a really good job of of creating these kind of one-off hooks, like like you said Ludwig was was alluding to. What do you think it takes to create more regular kind of audience, uh, a more regular fan base who is m interested in seeing a couple cards over the span of a year? I, I think a bridge, a bridge between the event Sunday and the future events. And, and that bridge can be Ludwig himself, but I don't think we can rely on that. I, I, we can hope for it, but I, I think we need to rely on the existing community to try to get a rematch into one of our other events. And I, and I think we need to invest time and resources into making that happen. And I think we need to put a lot more investment into our production quality. Uh, like you saw Sunday night, he, he put, there, there's been different figures thrown out, but 1.5 million is, is what, I've, what I've heard. You know, we can't do that, but we can certainly get closer to, to what we've done. And, and know that there's going to be some sort of ROI to it as long as we, we put it on the right channels and get the right fighters involved. And so, so to ride this wave, per se, I, I think I have part of that responsibility of, of being a bridge to some of these fighters that I built relationships with and, and being a, a voice, not just when there's a chess boxing event, but continuously in between chess boxing events on Twitch to do co-streams for fitness for gamers or fitness for chess players or chess boxing related streams like we did leading up to the event. And I think encouraging others to, to sign up and, and showcase their ch chess boxing training year round, I think will make it more habitual and more interesting w when the events roll around because people will understand what they're watching. I, I actually have a follow-up question as well. Do you think that the health of chess boxing is, would be improved by building out cards that uh, better highlight kind of a wider range of, of skills both in chess and in boxing than what was done on sunday i think the only thing missing sunday was high level boxing i, I think we saw extremely high level chess with both aman and lawrence trent which was the boring chess nothing happened right we saw a first round where they moved really fast they got advanced in a game but it was an equal position and no one understood what, what the hell was going on that's yep. what you're going to get when you get high level chess players in chess boxing and then you saw equally high-level chess between Andre and Dina, but you saw like an advantage, big time and position advantage for, for Dina. And then you saw how it shook out in the boxing ring and how it complicated things. So I think that's really good for the sport is having good chess players where it's decided in boxing. I think what we were missing is really good boxers. Um, I, I think the, the best matchup or matchups we had were, were Myth and Churdley's who it was still Myth's first fight, even though he trained a lot and looked great. I saw a lot of beginner 
kind of things that you that just I did in my first fight. Everyone does it in their first fight. There's a little bit of hesitancy to engage. There's not a whole lot of, of multi-punch combinations. There's a lot of kind of like one stingers or set up at one sting. So I think seeing high le- higher level boxing will make for more engaging events. And, and I hope that next time that, uh, you know, assuming Ludwig does one again, I hope he pulls in maybe some of the more experienced influencer boxers in to try chess for the first time with boxing. I think that would be a really, a really great way to improve upon what happened Sunday night, because then you're going to see at least intermediate boxing with, with some of these influencers that have done it a few times. And you're still going to see the beginner chess, which is kind of like fun and funny to watch. And there's still like the, the break in between. So it's not just straight boxing. So I, I think that would be the iteration or improvement on Sunday that, that I would recommend. That's all for our show. If you enjoyed this episode of Visionaries, you can find more like it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And while you're there, please give us a review. It really helps other people find the show. Special thanks to Sammy Daig and Prem Dadamkara for their work on this episode. We will see you on Wednesday.